Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your incredible love and grace. Thank you that we get to run to you. We get to run into your arms. We get to run into your grace. We can run to your throne to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. You just, you love us and you invite us. And I'm so thankful. I pray, Father, as we return to our study in the book of Luke, that you would guide us, you would lead us, that you would teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the name of today's sermon, I was on the phone with my wife, I think it was Tuesday, and I sometimes, one of the hardest things for me is actually titling sermons. So if you've ever noticed, usually my titles are pretty straightforward. Like today we're going to be talking about authority and faith. Should have just been authority and faith, but we were on the phone. And there's a movie, it's, a, it's an old kids movie called Titan AE. If you've never seen it, great kids movie. It's a lot of fun, right? There we go. A couple people have seen it. And at the end of the movie, they, they like make a new earth. It's all science fiction-y and whatnot. And the guy, the, the, the main character says, well, I'm going to name the planet Bob. And his, his love interest, it's a cartoon, she goes, I'm not, I'm not, you can't do that. I'm not going to set foot on that planet. He goes, you don't have to live on Bob. So we're having this discussion. I'm telling her what I'm preaching about. I'm asking for her help on what to name the sermon. And she says, I don't know. I said, fine, I'm calling the sermon Bob. And she goes, you can't call it Bob. I said, you're right. We're talking about a Roman centurion. We'll call it Robertus. That's Latin for Bob. <laughs> and so then I put the little tagline underneath. Oh, it's, it's in your, um, should be in the bulletin. What I think the centurion's name might have been. So we're going to refer to him as Bob throughout. And then when we get to talking about the centurion's servant, we named him too. Uh, but we're in Luke chapter 7. We're picking up in verse 1. So let's read the scriptures and ask God to forgive me for my whatever. Now when he concluded all these sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he had heard about Jesus, he sent elders to the Jews of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they had come to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Verse 6. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I do not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well, who had been sick. So when last we were in Luke, which was in June, uh, we finished up the Sermon on the Plain that's recorded for us in Luke 6, which is similar in content, but not in length, 
to the Sermon on the Mount we find in Matthew 5 through 7. So when the opening verses tell us that he finished these sayings in the hearing of the people and entered Capernaum, that, that was the sayings. It was after he finished the message in chapter 6 that he went in to Capernaum. Now, when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he began with this statement, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, the word authority here is exousia. It's kind of a fun word, but it has quite the definition because it means ability, privilege, force, capacity, competency, freedom, mastery, delegated influence, authority of God. Oh, sorry, authority. We're going to see this word in verse 8. My microphone's off. Does it keep cutting in and out? It's on. It's on now. Is it going through the... Can people online hear me? Yeah. Okay. Sorry, people online. We're having technical difficulties. I made a big loop. Wow. <laughs> Something shiny flew by. We're in trouble, guys. It's the belief or faith in the authority of God that's prominent in this account. Bless you. It's belief or faith in the authority of God. That's prominent. So we go back to verse 2. Wow! That's fun. This is going to be great. So if it really just sounds like I'm being passionate, it's... Yeah. Uh, a certain centurion, he had a servant. The servant was dear to him, and it was sick and was about to die. So he heard about Jesus. Right? At this point in time, Jesus' fame was spreading far and wide throughout Israel. One of the reasons that the religious leaders were so jealous of him. And... He goes to the elders of the Jews, pleads with them to go plead with Jesus to come heal his, service, his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him, saying that the one who did, who's asking this favor is deserving, because he loves our nation, and he has built us a synagogue. So Bob needs a favor. That's point number one. And his servant, who we're going to name Sergius, which, by the way, is a Latin name that means servant, is sick and near to death. Now, I love this phrase that the servant is dear to him. Because the word for dear here, I really spent a lot of time in my Greek dictionary this week, entimos, and it means valuable, honorable, and precious. So you might think, well, maybe Sergius was just a really good employee and Bob was afraid to lose a really good employee. No, no, no. He cared about him. That's different. And it's very out of character. We're going to talk about this over and over again today because it's very out of character for a Roman soldier and a Roman centurion. Why would he care about a slave? That doesn't make any sense, but he cared about this guy. Now, I want to point out something that I think is really interesting and it illustrates both the desperation and humility of Bob. So he asks the Jewish leaders to go beg Jesus to come and heal his servant. This would have been absolutely unheard of at the time. Now, there were arrangements between the Romans and prominent Jewish men, specifically, usually for mutual financial benefit, but not friendships, not 
favors, not, I really need your help with this. They wouldn't do that. But he goes to them and asks the Jewish elders to go ask for a miraculous favor from an itinerant Jewish preacher. He had heard about Jesus. He didn't know who he was. Not yet. And this demonstrates his desperation, but it also demonstrates his humility. It shows us how much he cared about this servant, that he was willing to put himself in this position to do something to try to help this man. There are a number of verses that talk about humility. Proverbs 18.12, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Proverbs 22.4, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. Zephaniah 2.3, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden. Matthew 18.4, Whoever humbles himself, as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We talked about this the last couple weeks as we've been in 1 Kings, because we see one of David's sons, Adonijah, wants to take the throne for himself. But David had already promised the throne to Solomon. Well, Adonijah gets a bunch of people. He makes deals with, with military leaders and religious leaders, and he sets himself up as king. It comes to David's attention, and he goes, nope, Solomon's going to be king, so he makes Solomon king. And then Adonijah makes another play through the throne by trying to get one of David's wives as his own, and Solomon kills him for it, which he should have done. It was treasonous. But he tried to exalt himself, and God humbled him. But the person who humbles himself, God will exalt. And I've always loved this saying. I, I steal it from Pastor Chuck, or did many, many years ago. Uh, if you do your job, God will do his. If you humble yourself, God will do the exalting. But if you try to do God's job, which is the exalting, then he'll do yours. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Uh, I could not tell you I, I, the number is beyond. Uh, it's probably a ridiculous number of times that God has had to humble me. Because, right? Shocker. How, oh, you're not prideful. You're just filled with humility and grace. Well, of course I am. Like four of you got that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Right? Clearly, I, I have issues with pride. I had somebody come to me once. Uh, it's a long story that would be for another time. And he goes, you know, you're a prideful person. I was like, yeah? <laughs> just took you that long to figure it out? I know I have issues with pride. And I'm grateful because whenever they show up, God is a loving and gracious Father and He deals with me quickly. James 4.10 says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Bob was, was humble. He was a humble man. Yes, he was desperate, but still humble. Because desperation plus pride is disaster. But here there was desperation, then there was humility. And that's beautiful. Then Bob has a great reputation. The Jewish elders came to Jesus and they begged him earnestly. And that phrase in Greek is parakaleo. 
Now, paraclete is a word we use in reference to the Holy Spirit as a helper. When Jesus told us, it's in John 14 or 16, that it's good for me to go away so I can send the helper to you, that word helper in, refer in reference to the Holy Spirit is paraclete. This is a slightly different version of the word, but it still speaks of intercession and help. So it, it yes, they came and begged him earnestly, but they came and interceded on Bob and Sergius's behalf. They came and wanted to help this man and help his servant. And they said they did it because of his reputation as a man who loved the nation of Israel, who had built them a synagogue. And so again, very out of character for a Roman centurion. Not, not even just a Roman soldier. Right? He just wasn't a quote-unquote grunt, but he had power. We're gonna, we read that, right? He had authority. He knew what that meant. This was, why would he do any favors for the Jews? He didn't have to. It benefited him in no way. Now, we're called to love one another. And when we love somebody else, we don't do it for what we can get back. We do it for their benefit, which just shows us the character of Robertus. So we get to verse 6. Then Jesus went with him. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. We're going to stop there. So Jesus is on his way to heal Sergius. Bob sends his friends now to give him a message. First sends the elders of the Jews. Then he sends his friends. And he makes two statements, which are further evidence of his humility and reputation. Statement number one, I am not worthy to have you come to my house or even to come and speak to you myself. He tells Jesus, I'm not good enough. Now, we've talked about humility. And this statement is one we can all repeat. You ready? You come to church to feel good about yourself, to get closer to God. None of us are good enough. None of us are worthy. None of us are deserving of what we have received from our gracious God. When you go back to the book of Genesis, and you don't have to turn there, but we have multiple accounts of people, and one of them is of Jacob. And Jacob was an interesting man, wasn't he? His name means heel catcher or supplanter. Literally, they named him Scoundrel. Because when his brother was born, he grabbed, tried to get his hand out first, and then his hand went back in, and then grabbed his brother. It was weird. And so they're like, okay, well, we're going to name Esau Esau, because he's hairy and red, but we're going to name Jacob uh, you know, scoundrel, supplanter, really. And Jacob lived up to his name. Later on, with his mother's help, he, well, first, he steals his brother's birthright with food. Second, he steals his brother's blessing by lying to his father. Then he goes out and Jacob learns his lesson. 
He spends 20 years having done to him what he had done to his brother. Now, this was done to him by his father-in-law, Laban. And you all know that story, right? He served seven years for Rachel. And the Bible says it, it, was, it went by like a day because he was so in love. And he wakes up in the morning and it ain't Rachel. It's Leah. Now, I like waking up next to Leah, but Jacob, that wasn't the woman he was supposed to marry. That would have been a little disturbing. And Laban goes, yeah, yeah, well, you had to marry her first. You can have Rachel too. Well, okay, I'll suffer through it. But he spends the next 20 years, Laban changed his wages multiple times. Finally, he runs away. And while he's running away, his brother comes out to meet him. And he's worried because the last time he saw his brother, his brother said, next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. That's why his mom said, you should go away for a little while. Now his brother's coming with 400 or 600 men. I don't remember the number. And Jacob's like, oh no. Now what? So he goes and he prays. And then all of a sudden, he realizes. He broke his family, his flocks, his servants, up into two companies. And in Genesis 32.10, he says this, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. I love that verse. There are many times I use that verse to worship God. Because there's a lot of times that I, I mean, you know, who, you know who I am. I know who I am. I know the mistakes I've made. And I look at what God lets me do. I look at what he's given me. And I'm not worthy of any of it. And I know that. Now, there's a number of places in the gospel where we're told to walk worthy. Or in the Bible, sorry, where we're told to walk worthy of the gospel. Uh, they're all in your notes, Romans 16, 2, Ephesians 4, 1, Philippians 1, 27, Colossians 1, 10. But we should do this, but we can only do it by God's grace and strength. We can only live our lives in a way that reflects all that he has done for us when we realize that he has done this as a gift of his grace. We didn't earn it, we'll never deserve it, and Bob had an idea about that. He knew. Right? He still didn't even really know who Jesus was, I don't think. He must have had some kind of clue. But he never met him. And he said, I'm not worthy. I don't, I don't deserve to have you step in my house. When you think about all that God has given us, can anybody in here honestly say, and if you do, you're in so much trouble, so don't do it. Um, but honestly say that you deserve to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Can anybody in here say, I deserve Jesus dying on the cross for me? That's just how good I am? How foolish is that? Well, of course I deserve to go to heaven. I'm pretty great. No, you're not. I love y'all, but come on now. We're all sinners. None of us deserve it. And Bob had that idea. And then Bob explains his understanding of authority, which I think is incredible. He describes here how there are those who have authority over him and how he has authority over others. And remember, this word authority, excusia, 
means ability, privilege, force, capacity, competency, freedom, mastery, delegated influence, authority, and jurisdiction, liberty, power, right, and strength. I didn't give you the whole definition last time. You want it again? Is it somewhere? Did I write it down? I did not. It's in your notes. Okay, good. But for those online, ability, privilege, force, capacity, competency, freedom, mastery, delegated influence, authority, jurisdiction, liberty, power, right, and strength. Essentially, this is a, um, I don't know, anybody like the, the, the James Bond movies? There was, uh, I think it was, was it Timothy Dalton or Pierce Brosnan that did License to Kill? I can't remember. But it was one of the, one of the James Bond movies called License to Kill, and James Bond had done something to make M angry, and she revoked his license to kill. Because he had carte blanche to kill whoever he thought needed to die as special agent, you know, 007. This word... It means the person who has this kind of authority can do whatever they want. And it's not just that they can, right? That, it, that they're allowed. It's that they have the ability to do whatever they want. And so we're going to talk about that more in a moment. But this, by Bob, is an outright act of faith. Bob believed that Jesus had the ability, capacity, Capacity, privilege, competency, power, right, influence, and more to heal Sergius without even coming to his house. He had that kind of faith with his limited knowledge. How much greater should our faith be considering what we know about Jesus from the word of God? The Bible speaks often of authority. God's authority, the authority we have in Christ, um, and I think this has become an unhealthy obsession for some people. For some sections within the overall church. Yes, we have authority in Christ, but that authority is not ours. If you spend enough time listening to uh, you know, various preachers, internet, TV, whatnot, you're going to run across, not all of them, but you're going to run across some that are going to talk about your authority. I saw this video on YouTube that just cracked me up. This, the guy in this video, just stone cold truth teller. Love this guy. He was invited to this kind of, um, I, I don't know if it was a TV show, or internet thing, but he was invited to this thing and the lady who was hosting the whole thing had done her bit and I didn't get to see her bit. I just saw his bit after her bit. Because after her bit, he gets up there and he goes, I just want to tell you that the most important thing for you to know is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. That he rose from the grave and that the Bible that teaches us that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. And he goes, I want you to know that so that you can use that to overcome the heresy that she just gave you from this stage. I was like, what? Dude! Because her bit, her message, or whatever it was, was that they had authority. That they had power to heal. That they were the ones who could do all of this stuff. And nobody could stand against them. Now, here's the problem with lies and heresy. There's often a little bit of truth in it. Do we have authority in Christ? Of course we do. Is it our authority? 
uh-uh. It's not my authority. It's his authority. Is it my power? No. It's his power. Can anybody stand against me? No. But that's because they can't stand against him. And nothing can separate me from his love. That's a huge difference. To focus on our authority and not recognize it as God's authority in Christ through the Holy Spirit in us is very spiritually and emotionally unhealthy. Yes, we have authority, but it's not ours. It's his. Yes, we have power, but it's not ours. It's his. And we have to remember that. And my favorite example, and I bring it up often, is Michael the archangel in Jude verse 9. And Michael was disputing with Satan over the body of Moses. Now, we don't have that recorded for us in Scripture. I can't wait to get there and find out what happened. Because this just sounds like something I really wish had been written down in the Old Testament for us. But it wasn't. Somehow Jude knew about it. Holy Spirit, my guess. But he said, when Michael contended with Satan over the body of Moses, even Michael didn't say anything against the devil. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Now that gets me to think. Think about what angels are capable of. When you get up into the book of Revelation, Michael throws Satan and uh, Michael and his angels throw Satan and his followers out of heaven permanently. Michael has that kind of power. In the Old Testament, one angel wiped out 173,000 soldiers in one night. One angel like Michael. And when Michael was fighting with Satan, and remember, Satan and Michael are, before Satan's fall, they are essentially colleagues. They're equals. Satan is not God's equal. God is omnipotent and omnipresent, and and Satan is a a snot-nosed little rebel. But, I mean, he's, he's got his ways, but still. Michael wouldn't do it. Michael wouldn't rebuke Satan. He asked God to do it for him. And I have people come, oh, well, you just need to rebuke that demon. I'll say, I'll ask God to rebuke that demon. Because I I believe that demons exist. We talked about that stuff in the past. It's out there. It's real. People don't want to recognize it or people want to treat it as something different. But it does exist. We have to understand the spiritual war going on around us. But I am never going to go into that spiritual war by myself. I'm never going to go. Remember the seven sons of Sceva? How many rabbit trails can we go down today? That's the questions. Someone should keep count. Um, you guys remember the seven sons of Sceva? They were, they were Jewish exorcists. And they went into the house of this man who was demon-possessed, and they said, we exercise you by the Jesus Paul preaches. And the demon looked back at them. You know, it's not often that I root for the demon, but this is one of those situations that I think is hilarious. The demon looks back at them and says, you know what, we know who Jesus is. We even know who Paul is, but who are you? And this one guy, possessed by multiple demons, leapt on the seven sons of Sceva, beat the snot out of them, ripped all their clothes off, and they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I'm not going into that by myself. I'm not facing off against that in my flesh or in my strength or in whatever. I'm going to go in with the Holy Spirit the power of God's word, and I'm going to ask God, would you deal with that, please? 
and he will. But this idea that the authority or the power is ours, is that's not in Scripture. It comes from him. Verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well, who had been sick. This word for marvel here is really, really interesting because it can mean to admire, which is the way that it's used in this context. Jesus admired Bob. But it can also mean to wonder. Have you ever seen somebody do something so stupid that you look at them and you just kind of, you're in awe, but it's not the good kind of awe? You're in wonder, but it's not the good kind of wonder? And, and you know, I think there's been many instances in my life where if God were not omniscient, right? If he didn't know everything, I think there's been many times in my life where he would have looked at me and gone, really? Right? But he already saw it coming because he knows. But we do that, don't we? Well, we'll look at other people and be like, you got to be kidding me. We were driving around the other day, and this, my wife's going to get angry just because I tell this story. It wasn't my fault. Um, but we were driving around the other day, and we were, we were pulling onto our street to go home, and we saw this other person pulling around with, what, maybe a three-year-old? On his lap holding the steering wheel while he was driving. She starts yelling, we need to follow him. We need to call the police. I'm like, we can try. I said, I don't think the police are going to do anything. They'd have to, first, they'd have to find him. And second, the kid would have to still be on the guy's lap, so on and so forth. And, and, but it was, she was just livid. And I get it. Because we looked at that guy and you wonder how that person, you know, has survived this long if they're really that stupid. That's not the wonder here. When Jesus marvels at Bob's faith, at the faith of this centurion, he is admiring this man. Now, just to give you, put this in a little bit of context, this is the Son of God. This is Jesus, the creator of all things, looking at one of his bits of creation and going, wow, how awesome is that? And he's not patting himself on the back. It's just awesome. And he turns around and he says to the crowd, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Jesus said this about a Gentile soldier who was part of an occupying force in Israel. And I find that incredible. So I did a little bit of research, and I only grabbed three examples, but have you ever noticed how often Jesus compliments Gentiles in the Gospels? I think this is pretty fantastic. Uh, we have one, uh, the Good Samaritan. Now, that was a teaching or a parable, but still, he spoke highly of the Samaritan while putting down a Levite and a priest who refused to help the man. We have Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. He told his disciples, I have to go this way. Why? To meet this woman. And because she came to know Jesus, her whole village got saved. Then you have the, the, the Syrophoenician woman 
who asked Jesus to heal her daughter in Matthew 15. And Jesus said, well, you know, you give the food to the kids, not to the dogs. And she goes, well, yeah, even the dogs get the crumbs. And he goes, oh, what great faith. Go on your way. Your daughter's well. And she got home, and her daughter was well. Now, there's a lot of... There's a lot of instances of Jesus complimenting, teaching about, or ministering to Gentiles. Even though his ministry was to the Jewish people first, it really rubbed the religious leaders the wrong way when he would minister to the Gentiles. But we are called to minister to the least of these. And when we minister to the least of these, when we minister to those that the religious hypocrites think are unworthy of the gospel, it's always going to rub them the wrong way. And it's always going to tickle me. I love making religious hypocrites angry. It's just so much fun. I don't go out of my way to do it, but if there's an opportunity, I take it. Now let's talk about his great faith. The word for great is to pseudos. And it means that it is vast. It means that it has such in quantity, amount, number, in space. It is large. It is great. And the word for faith is pistis, and it means reliance. Specifically, reliance upon the truthfulness and trustworthiness of God or reliance upon Jesus for salvation. So when we put that together, Bob's faith was so vast that it caused Jesus to admire him, to marvel at him. Bob's reliance upon the truthfulness and trustworthiness of God was beyond measure when compared with anyone else that Jesus had met thus far in his earthly ministry. When he said, I have not found such great faith, not even in all of Israel, he goes, I have not met another person who trusts God like this. That's pretty incredible to me. So let's talk about our faith. Right? we got to bring it home. Great, that Roman centurion 2,000 years ago had great faith. Good for him. But what about our faith? Our faith begins with a reliance upon Jesus for salvation. And our faith continues with a reliance upon the truthfulness and trustworthiness of God. So we'll start with the first one. Where does faith begin? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And what I've always loved about that, and a lot of people go, yes, we're saved by grace. When we believe we're saved by grace, and this is absolutely true, but if you look at that verse, and you break it down, the faith to believe is part of the gift. Even the faith to believe is part of the gift. I don't muster up enough faith and now I can believe in Jesus. Even the faith to believe is part of the gift. Yes, we decide. And I'm grateful for that. We respond. And unfortunately, there are people who respond the wrong way. But we do have to respond. But in that moment, when we come to the place that we want to respond to the gospel, as the Holy Spirit leads us, even the faith to do so is a gift. A gift of his grace. And so we start with a reliance upon Christ for salvation. Romans 3.23 reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a single person on earth that's not a sinner. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How beautiful is that? The second half. The first half is, yes, what do we earn for our sin? Death. Spiritual death, physical death, eternal death. And when I say eternal death, I don't mean you cease to exist. It's an eternity of torment that the Bible calls the second death. But the free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 10, 13, 4, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that. I love the whoever. I always have. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Whoever. I am so grateful that I am one of the whoever's. And I am so grateful that that whoever includes everyone and anyone. Doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter what your age is. Doesn't matter if you're tall or short or fat or skinny. If you have lots of hair or if you have no hair or if nobody knows the natural color of your hair or none of that matters, right? It doesn't matter if you're black or if you're white or if you're Hispanic or uh, I'm just going to make my daughter angry if I just say Asian, right? Because you have all the various, right? When you you talk about Asia, you have India and you have China and you have the Philippines and you have all of Asia, right? And it doesn't matter. God doesn't care where you come from. He doesn't care about what you've done or how awful you've been. If you call on the name of Jesus, you'll be saved. That's so good. That's so good. But it can't end there. Reliance upon the truthfulness and trustworthiness of God is where our faith continues. And there are a lot of passages that speak of our need to trust God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Hebrews 2, 13. Uh, Ephesians 1, 12 through 13. Psalm 143, verse 8. Psalm 91, 2. And Isaiah 26, 3, which is one of my favorites, so I actually wrote it down. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. I like that. And what I want to focus on is this type of faith. The type of faith that Bob has, a faith that trusts and continues. Paul told us in Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, he asked the Galatian church a question. This I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? In other words, how did you get saved? Did you do enough good things to get saved or was it a free gift of God applied by his Holy Spirit? Right? And that's a rhetorical question, because we all get saved the same way. He says, then, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? A faith that continues as a reliance upon the truthfulness and trustworthiness of God is not a faith that says, well, I believe in Jesus to save me, but now I have to do everything else. I saw a great um, quote, and it says, just because you pray for a hole doesn't mean you can just lean on the shovel and wait for the hole to happen. And it's true. Faith is evidenced by our works. We talked about that in John, John, James chapter 2. 
Faith, works don't save us. They are evidence of our salvation. But we start by faith. We cannot continue any other way. We have to continue. We cannot start by the Spirit of God bringing us into this relationship, baptizing us into the body of Christ, and then now we're going to do it on our own. Paul says you can't do that. He calls it foolish. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. This is the same thing. How did we receive Jesus? We received Jesus by faith. So how do we walk in him? The same way. We walk in him by that same faith. 1 John 5, 12 and 13. He who has the Son of Life... He who does not have the Son of life, of God does not have life. These things, what? What did I, oh gosh. He who has the Son has life. I can read. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And I don't want anybody, I'm not here to make you feel bad, right? You're all sinners. We'd all go to hell without Jesus. We know that. I think a lot of the problems that we all go through as followers of Christ, right? And I'm not pointing fingers. I'm very convicted by this. But a lot of the problems that we go through as believers is because we will trust God for our salvation. We will trust that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient. That his resurrection actually happened. And that we know that when we have the Son, we'll have eternal life. But we can't trust him today. Or we struggle to trust him for tomorrow. Or we struggle to trust him for the bills that need to be paid. Or we struggle to trust him for the diagnosis we receive from the doctor. Or we struggle to trust him when we listen to the news. Don't listen to the news. There's so many better things to do with your life. When, when the world explodes, we're going to know. You don't need to be on MSNBC, NBC, Fox. You don't, you're not going to have to be sitting there and going, oh my gosh, the world came to an end. No, we're going to know. Most likely we're not going to be here. But whatever happens, right, the government collapses, martial law, nuclear explosions, it's not going to be a secret. So turn the news off. Worship God. It's much better for you. Sorry, I have feelings about that. But we struggle with that. And I, I hope I'm not the only one. I say often that you're all better than I am. But if somebody came and asked me, well, what happens after we die? I'm going to heaven because I believe in Jesus and his death and resurrection. Somebody pointed a gun at me and said, renounce Christ or I'll kill you. I said, kill me. And he and I are going to laugh at you in a couple minutes. Right? No problem. My student loans come due in October. It's freaking me out. Why? 
How many times God has told me, both in his word and just when I've been sitting silently before him, this is going to be fine. We're going to take care of it. I led you in this direction for your education. I'm going to help you. We're going to, you're going to get the other side. It's going to be okay. Okay. But Lord, you don't understand. Like, he doesn't know how much money I owe. I'm not going to tell you unless you ask privately. But um, it's a lot. And I, I do. I'll struggle with those things. I believe I'm going to live forever. But is God really going to take care of my kids? I believe I'm going to live forever. But and God wants us to continue in that faith. Psalm 27.3, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that's true. If we do not place our hope in Christ, we will lose heart. But what happens if we fear? What happens when that doubt comes in? And maybe you well, I never fear, and I never doubt, and I never have anxiety. Well, good for you. You're a liar. Because it happens to all of us at some point in time. What do we do when that happens? We confess it, and we ask for help. One of my favorite prayers in Scripture, Mark 9, 22 and 24. This man brought his son to the disciples for help. The disciples couldn't help him. Jesus comes down and the man looks at him, looks at Jesus and says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. And Jesus said to him, if you can. I love that. I love that. It depends on your translation and how you read it. Some say, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Some translations put it, what do you mean, if I can? I like that. What do you mean, if I can? Of course I can. But can you believe me for it? I think he asks us that question a lot. We might not listen. Well, Lord, can you do anything about this? What do you mean, can I? I could fix it like that. I already have a plan. I already know the solution. I already know how you're going to get to the other side of this. What do you mean, if I can? But do you believe me? Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And I like that prayer because it's honest. I know he can. I may struggle to believe it sometimes. I may struggle to trust it sometimes. I may struggle to walk it out at times. I believe, though, that he can. And when I'm struggling, I ask him to help my unbelief. And you know what? 26 years of following Christ, he has never failed. So stupid of me to think he would now. When I look back and think on what he's brought me through, when I think back and look on what, what I've survived, when I look back and think on what our marriage has gone through, what our children have gone through, and here we are, fat and happy. Sometimes. Well, I'm always fat. Sometimes happy. Right? I look back at that and I go, bring it on. What else could possibly happen that he's not going to get us to the other side of? Losing loved ones, being betrayed, being lied about, losing jobs, losing, we almost lost a house once because I'd lost a job. And the only job I could find was at Starbucks. You talk about desperate. 
And here we are, never homeless, never went hungry. And here we are. How do you how do you look back at that and then go, yeah, but this time I don't think it's gonna happen. This time, even though the 84,000 times before it he's made happen and he's gotten me through, but this time, well, maybe he's done. Maybe he's on vacation. No. Let's close. So last night, uh, we, I led uh, worship at the Saturday night service for Rick Barton. And uh, Rich Townsend, who I think many of you know, uh, was there. And he gave the message. And he said, so I'm, I'm going to close, which is what I just said. And he said, don't you love it when a pastor says he's going to close and then talks for another 20 minutes? My conclusion is a page long. I'm going to do my best. How many of you will give me five more minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40. Okay, good. So we're almost up to a whole nother hour. Gee, you fell right into that, didn't you? I stole that from another pastor too. So here's a great quote by Martin Luther. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Think about that quote. It's a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So sure and certain that we could stake our lives on it a thousand times. Hebrews gives us this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. And without faith it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is that which we stand on when there's nothing else to stand on. I love that. What we saw today was this kind of faith. The kind of faith, this came from a Gentile, a Roman soldier, but Bob dared to believe. So much that he asked the Jewish elders to go talk to Jesus and he sent his friends trusting in the authority and power of God to do this for him. I know you can. After commanding the fig tree to wither, Jesus said to his disciples, this is up in Matthew 21, or back in Matthew 20. Where are we at, Luke? Back in Matthew 21. He says, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, this faith is not to accomplish our will. This faith is not so we can have our selfish desires carried out on our behalf. Our faith cannot change the will of God. But when we trust him, when we trust his will, when we trust his power, when we rely on him, he can and will do incredible things in and through our lives. I know it. So two questions. Number one, have you taken that step of initial faith by believing in and relying on Jesus for your salvation? Now I'm grateful. I say this a lot, but I know y'all, and I don't think there's anybody here who hasn't taken that step, but just in case, I don't want to assume. One day, you're all going to stand before God, and so am I. And the one thing that I do not want him to say to me is, why didn't you tell that person the gospel? 
I pointed over there because there's nobody sitting there. Why didn't you tell that person the gospel? And I don't ever want him to look at me and say that. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, one day y'all are going to stand before, I got all country. One day y'all are going to stand before God. And one day God's going to look at you. And he's going to say, that guy told you the gospel 843 times. Why didn't you respond? Right? Not my fault. Your fault. Now, I don't think that's true for any of you. I really hope not anyway. But just in case, I'm going to preach the gospel every time you're here. Now, if you don't respond to it, that ain't my problem. I feel bad for you. But this goes for anybody listening to the recording and online. I don't want to pick on y'all, Amy. No. (laughs) I could learn a lot from Amy, I'm sure. But the point that I'm getting at is when I stand before God, I want to have been faithful to tell you, and you had better be faithful to listen. Uh, Not to me, but to him. And so if you're here, if you're online, if you're listening to the recording, and you have never given your life to Christ, it's time. Right? Talk to me after church. Leave me a private message. Go to our website. Get in contact with us, newsongunnison.net. Uh, leave a, a comment. I don't care how you get in touch, but get in touch because you need Jesus. That's all there is to it. Now, for those of us who know Christ, Where in your life are you struggling to rely on the truthfulness and trustworthiness of God? And I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. I'm saying this because it's something probably for all of us. Is there an area where you're trying to do it yourself? Are you struggling to trust God with your past sins or failures or hurts? Are you struggling to trust him in some present situation? Or are you struggling to trust him for what the future might hold? I don't know. There's no point in worrying about the past. It's over. Now, I say that. I do it all the time. But there's no point in worrying about the past. It's over. There's no point in struggling over what's going to happen in the future because there's nothing you can do about it anyway. You can be prepared by knowing Christ. So worry about what God wants you to do right now. Don't even worry about that. Just trust him for that. It would be easy for me to just say, have faith and everything will be fine. So I love the Narnia movies. I told you, we're never getting done. Um, I love the Narnia movies. And the third one, they did a pretty good job on. The first one, they did an amazing job. The second one, they did a good job. The third one, it dropped down to pretty good. And there's this one comment in the movie that makes me mad every time I hear it. This little girl lost her mom to a green smoke monster. They weren't on the island from Lost. But then she lost her mom to the green smoke monster. They're going after. They're trying to rescue the mom. And and she goes, well, I'm just worried that I'm never going to see my mom again. And one of the main characters says, we just have to have faith about these things. Oh, shut up. You ever had anybody going through just the worst thing in your life? Well, just have faith. It'll be fine. I know that. Somewhere inside, I know that, but that's not how I feel at the moment. Right? Don't do that to me. It's like, I actually had, you all all know, I've struggled with depression and various things. I've actually had people look at me, well, can't you just be happy? Never thought of that. Never thought, yeah, wow, you're amazing. How could you be so smart? That never even popped into my head. Jerk. Now, y'all think I'm a a follower of Christ, and I am, and I'm a pastor, and I love Jesus. You should hear some of the things I've said to people who say stuff like that to me. 
I have repented and happy because I was forgiven, but it's not how it works. You're struggling. Well, just have faith. It'll be fine. Shut up. But I want to leave you with something practical. Because even though it's a horrible thing, to just, well, just have faith. It'll be fine. It is true. Oh, oh, hurts so bad. I know. First, read your Bible. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says that. You want your faith to grow? You want to be able to believe God for the impossible? Read his book. And then pray. Oh, so simple, right? Wow, you're telling us to read the Bible and pray? Shocker! Are you doing it? Pray, because Jude verse 20 tells us to build ourselves up in our most holy faith by spirit-led prayer. It's not an exact quote, but that is what it means. The more we know him, the easier it is to trust him. Think about uh, any relationship that you've had for any length of time. You know, some people are married 58 years. Now, the day you met each other, did you trust each other the way you do now? Probably not. The day I met my wife, 30 years ago, right? Not 58. We still, we still bow before the masters. But August 30th of this month is the 30th anniversary of our first date. Y'all know me. I got plans. But the day we met, not like today. The day we got married, not like today. I was having this discussion with my son the other day. I said, I don't really even think of, well, I was talking to him, so your mother, but I don't even really think of her as a separate person anymore. Not that she doesn't have her own personality and her own identity and her own calling and walk with Christ, but we're one. I actually trust her more than I trust me because she's much better than I am. I'm just saying. I am much more likely to do something stupid than she is. So I trust her more. The more we know him, the easier it is to trust him and to rest in the truth that he is working all things out for our good. So you want to grow in your faith? You don't just believe more. Get to know him. Well, I've been walking with him for for 40 years, 50 years. I read the Bible every day. I pray every day. Good, keep going. Because if you were done, you wouldn't still be here. That was our message from the last two weeks. But the more you know him, the more you trust him. And we get to know him better by being in the word and being in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious heavenly father, we give you all the glory. And Lord, I know I'm far from perfect. I know I have struggles. But what I also know is that you love me, that you put up with my weakness, and that your strength is made perfect in that weakness, that your grace is sufficient. 
So I pray, God, that you would help us. Help us be faithful to be in your word, to be in prayer, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we can know you better and that by your grace and strength we can trust you more. To you be all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.